Welcome, everyone, to yet another edition of Conversations with Calcaterra. I have a great guest today, Curtis Wild, professional wrestler, public servant. Just a, a wonderful conversation that I really enjoyed. I want to thank Ben Sturgill. His song, Drive, starts the show out. And uh, it's fitting in, in the fact that uh, Curtis, with his uh, professional wrestling, is on the road a lot. And now with the his appointment to the... Uh, uh, Democratic National Committee. He's she's traveling a bit for that, and uh, just the different things he's doing with politics. The road is, you know, he's in his car a lot. So you know, that's uh, that's kind of the theme there, and uh, just really fun conversation. And I've been a, I've been a fan of professional wrestling for since I was a kid in the Midwest and you know working class family. That's just a kind of things that we watched and uh, theater in the squared circle. And I've had the opportunity to meet plenty of professional wrestlers throughout the years and just some of the coolest people that I've ever met just really you know salt of the earth type people and uh you know just always willing to you know wanting to entertain and it's really really good folk but uh yeah talking to Curtis today and we talk a little bit about politics um then we talk about his professional wrestling career and how those two tie together and at one point we uh we were talking about the revolutionary war which you'll hear and uh, I had mentioned King George III he thought it was a second so I was right in that case, but uh, yeah, who's keeping tabs? Well, I guess me. But yeah, no, no, it's a good conversation. Curtis is a good dude, you know, he's become a good friend, and uh, just really enjoyed talking to him. You know, taking taking bumps in wrestling is, you know, hard on your body, and, uh, you know, massage therapy is something that's good that uh, Curtis has used, and uh, chiropractic care can also help uh, get that spine, you know, fixed after after Curtis brain gives somebody a brain buster or a pile driver or body slam. So Dr. Mark Holland, if I was a... You know, professional wrestling, I'd be going to Dr. Mark Holland more often and getting my, my spine adjusted. He can be found at uh, chironrehab.com and mystlouischiropractor.com. So all you all you indie wrestlers in the area or wrestler traveling, you know, he his uh, anyone at his, his offices, five offices throughout the uh, St. Louis metro area can help you out. I also mentioned uh, Ben Sturgill's song earlier. Find him at bensturgill.com. He's doing a lot of great things creating new singles just amazing music so super proud of what he's doing and then uh you know we talk about wrestling you know wrestling is uh the belts are a big thing and they're just you know amazing pieces of art of uh i'm in, i'd be interested to see what kevin blomenkamp could uh, could create you know what kind of wrestling belt he would create i'll have to talk to him i don't know if he he was a fan growing up or if he's a fan now but uh definitely amazing in in what he creates is in regards to metal so, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to mention that to him, see if he can, uh, maybe he can create a, a personal strap, which is a wrestling term for the belt, for uh, for Mr. Curtis Wilde. Um, yeah, so we uh, also talk about literature. You know, Curtis is pretty well read, and a few books that he recommends are on the show page, so check that out. And uh, speaking of books, I recently read Molina, which is a, a book by Benji Molina, talking about uh, how his father, his influence he had, the just the lessons in life that he taught and uh, how, you know, how this man raised three sons who went on to be major league baseball catchers. And so, yeah, it's just an amazing book, really inspiring and how uh, just Benji never gave up and how he eventually made it to the major leagues and just, you know, his relationship with his father. And it was, I, I couldn't put it down. So definitely check that out. And who knows, uh, maybe one day we can get Benji Molina on the podcast. So I'll have to try to figure out how to make that happen. Also want to thank Dale's Music. Uh, if you have any any kids that want to learn music or you yourself, 
Uh, Dale's has no age limit, and uh, you can get your instruments fixed there. You know, get uh, get your guitars repaired. Rent an instrument if you don't have one. So Dale's would be a, a good place to go for that, and you can uh, you can find Dale's on the show page. So yeah, Curtis Wild. Curtis was inspired by uh, by Bernie Sanders, and uh, this is why he decided to you know run. And he he says you know very clearly that he is a public servant, not a politician. So he ran for office, didn't make it, but uh, gained some name recognition. You'll hear him talk about that and how his his opponent has tried to put the legislature forth to uh, change some laws, and um, you know that'll that'll keep Curtis from possibly you know utilizing that name recognition. So check out the check out the conversation and hear about what's going on there. Uh, just a really fun conversation, so I'm going to stop talking about it and let you listen to it. KenCalcaterra.com. Check me out on social media. Here he is, my buddy Curtis Wild. All right, honored to have with me today, volatile Curtis Wild. What do you have to say, Curtis? Hey, Ken Calcaterra, I appreciate you having me on the show. Lucky number 33, man. This yeah. is the 33rd show, right? 33rd, yeah. It's been yeah. fun, man. Good to talk to you. And uh, we're talking a lot of different topics, but I want to start with professional wrestling. Uh-huh. Uh, when did you get started as a professional wrestler? Well, if you want to trim all the fat away, it was probably uh, five or six years old. Uh, I just caught it on television and uh, it really, really bit me. And my grandparents started taking me to uh, the arena or kill auditorium. I don't remember exactly which one it was back at that time, but uh, I got to see some live wrestling and then ended up moving down to Horn Lake, Mississippi, just outside of Memphis, Tennessee, when it was a hotbed for professional wrestling, uh, when Jerry the King Lawler was the king of Memphis. And uh, I got to see that live. I was only about 20 minutes away from the television tapings that USWA had at the time. And I was able to take in all of that, check out the Mid-South Coliseum uh, shows, which were their bigger shows, uh, kind of at a Savage Center type of place. Uh, or Scott Trade now. Now it's Scott Trade. But, uh, yeah, I don't they, even follow the names of all these. You know, they, they always change. change. Yeah, and they so change. So it's just so like whatever you, wherever you know it as first, you know, the... The arena was at once the Checker Dome, which is kind of, I guess, kind of cool, but, uh, you know, another corporate type thing. But, uh, yeah, these names change. Just look at, uh, you know, a lot of the amphitheaters. Riverport, I still call it Riverport. For for those in the in the St. Louis area, they know Riverport, where now it's, I don't even know what it is now, like Hollywood Casino, yeah, amphitheater Hollywood or just, something. Yeah, it took a while to get used to. Yeah, it's your corporate sponsor of the week. Whatever that is, is uh, whoever's going to pay for the marquee is who's going to own the building and get that name recognition. But yeah, I, I just really uh, enjoyed wrestling. I enjoyed the entertainment of it. I enjoyed the uh, personal aspect of it. I mean, you were there, you were live, you got to see things that uh, you'd never get to see on most movies or ever in the street or any of that. So theater in the squared circle. Absolutely. Yeah. The, those guys were amazing entertainers and seeing a live professional wrestling show is unlike anything you'll ever see in your life. You, you've got to see it live because when a man gets body slammed 10 feet away from you and you feel it and you hear it and, and you see the pain on his face, it's a whole different feeling than when you see a Vince McMahon show with all the glitz and glamour on television or pay-per-view. 
Yeah. So the the what what when you in those early days, what was it that that got you excited about it? Was it the physicality? Was it the moves, or was it more the uh, the the characters, the entertainment, the personas? I think all of it. I think all of the above. Uh, definitely, the characters and personas really brings you in. But the physicality and the moves and the storylines and. Uh, uh, the richness of the characters, the deepness of the characters really kept you there. So that's one of the things that, that I really appreciated. A character like Kamala, the Ugandan giant. You know, you you got this, uh, the, this uh, guy who seems to be a beast from the deep jungles. And he's in a professional wrestling show in Tennessee. And you would never see anything like that. You would never think to see anything like that. I mean, these characters were created in front of you. Yeah, in those days it was pre-internet, so one wouldn't really know, you know, what they would know about the world maybe through encyclopedia. So you can't now, you're seeing videos from everywhere, you know that the world is really a much smaller place than it maybe have seemed 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Yeah, well now they have the access to information. That's why the curtain's kind of been pulled back on, uh, you know, uh, the real fake uh, debate on it and the uh, whether it's choreographed whether it's predetermined uh, you know is all kind of out there and people know that but the thing with professional wrestling is that when you go see a professional wrestling show you suspend your disbelief you walk in you cheer for the good guys you boo the bad guys or vice versa if that's the type of person <laughs> you are but you get involved and that's the thing is that that uh, pro wrestling and the pro wrestling fans are kind of a family so they all get involved. They all get to know each other. They all come to, to various shows in different places. Uh, I just did a show last Saturday night, and someone who was in the audience was actually in Sedalia when I won my seat on the DNC. Uh, when I was voted into the Democratic National Committee, He that was the first time that he saw me on stage. And then he just saw me last Saturday night wrestling. Uh, as the evil hated volatile Curtis Wilde <laughs> and new breed wrestling uh, down just outside of Springfield, Missouri, you know, so it, it's weird how this kind of comes together. Well, when you talk about suspension of disbelief, I, I mean, look at a show. I, I enjoy The Walking Dead and you know that that those aren't real zombies in the show, but you get into the drama of it. And I think it's the same with wrestling. And, and one thing that I want to make clear is it's not fake. Uh, right. Because all the bumps that you guys are taking and all the physicality of it is, is very much real. Right. I, I mean, uh, you watch a match with a guy like John Cena and you can hear him saying things really loudly. John Cena is really bad for that. You know, uh, calling things on television, <laughs> not paying attention, <laughs> uh, not really paying attention to his volume levels. But uh, they've already taken the, the curtain back. You already know that that it's a show. Uh, unfortunately, he should keep the volume down. John, keep the volume down, Mr. Cena. Uh, but, uh, you know, when a guy sends you into the ropes, he may tell you, I'm going to kick you in the face. He's really going to try to kick your face off. If you let him, that's your fault. <laughs> you, you know that boot is coming at your face. So if you get kicked in the face it, it really hard, it's your own fault. You can control how hard you get kicked in the face if you're good at it. <laughs> you know? and looking at that i'm sure there's times not everybody I, I mean what my experience and i've worked back, back in the day shot some videos for for independent press uh, independent professional wrestling leagues you gotta say that to say that three times fast that's yeah, a tough one but uh and one of my one of my prior guests brant wilkins he was uh 
he's now he uh, the uh, proprietor of a bed and breakfast the uh Captain, I'm getting. Let me go back, rewind. In Herman, Missouri, Captain Walton. So yeah, check that episode out. But um, you know, meeting these guys, you know, a lot of them seem like, you know, in the ring, total badasses. Um, some people are the sweetest people you meet. Others, uh, you know, have that persona outside of the ring. Do you find that? Is there any conflicts that you can talk? Have you had any? you know any out of the ring conflicts that carried over or how does how does that work or is it is it one big happy family well a majority of that is uh, uh conflicts with the family i mean of course you have internal conflicts uh there's probably more politics in professional wrestling than i've encountered in the democratic party or politics in general running for state representative uh, I mean, just the backstage drama, the backstage politics, guys trying to jockey for their position and jockey for their spot and this, that and the other. Um, but a lot of the conflicts that have spilled outside of the building are more just fans that are angry that want to fight me. Uh, <laughs> so the, those are situations I've definitely had to deal with many times over the years. And sometimes it's fans that want to fight me during the shows, but that's what we have security for. Interesting. So, yeah, so you find the fans are, are more rambunctious than, than the performers. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Have you seen the video? The, the, it's still real to me. I, uh, I have not. Yeah. Can we cuss on this? Yeah, no, yeah, I, yeah. It's still real to me, damn it. Have oh, you seen that video no, where no. the guy's in tears? He's sitting in bleachers, and they interview him, and, uh, and they're, they're like, why are you so emotional? And he's like, you don't understand. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and there are those fans, man. And that's the best part are those fans that suspend disbelief so much that they know it's a show walking in. But while they're in there, it's real. It's they're part of it. And everything that's happening is legitimate. And that's the type of fans that we need more of, man, because those are the type of people that I want to entertain for. The passion, the passionate fans. Passionate fans, people <laughs> who, who are driven by the emotion of the show, because that's why we're there. We're there to take them on an emotional roller coaster. We're there to take them on an emotional ride. And if we do our jobs right, they're going to go up, they're going to go down, they're going to feel happy, sad, uh, angry, regardless of how they feel they're gonna feel emotion and that's what draws people to professional wrestling that's what drew me to professional wrestling well and i think in a wrestling show it's kind of like somewhat similar to what the internet is now with people on on a lot of these web pages that say anything they want because i've seen uh, you know over the years a handful of indie shows and probably more than a handful but a few professional shows but i find people are really you know, they just let it go and they're screaming, yelling, everything. And I guess my first live show was a WCW show back. Uh, a friend of mine had received some tickets for his birthday and we went and we were, I think we were like maybe eight rows from the, from the ring or I don't know, maybe, maybe even closer, but so close that next to me was this, this lady. She, and that was when you could smoke in, you know, indoors, indoors in, the, right. in the arena. So this, this lady's like chain smoking the whole night and she's cursing all the wrestlers and Ric Flair comes out and she's like, Ric Flair, you faggot, you, my, you know, like the, like that for, may have been my grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, it could be if I do the math, I don't know how old this person was. I can't, you know, she's thinking back, but she's screaming and yelling the whole time. And finally, and, and I don't know if this was, I don't, I think this was not part of his character, but he just got tired of it. And he turned and he looked at her and he goes, shut up, you fat hoe. 
And she wow. shut the fuck up, man. She sat down and just like, and, and I, I think she even stopped smoking. So I was kind of like, Ric Flair, you're my hero. <laughs> of course, one of the biggest heels. But it was just, wow, man. Yeah, now I'm, I'm this chick's not blowing smoke in my face the whole time. And yeah. I mean, she was over the top. I yeah. mean, screaming f bombs, everything else that you could, and it was just like, whoa, this is kind of kind of insane. It was, I mean, part of the fun of it, but uh, you know, at that time, I, I wasn't screaming anything. I was just kind of the spectacle of it, and yeah. being that close to something that I had seen on TV was pretty damn cool. Yeah, and all that glitz and glamour, and then, like I said, you saw the guy body slam uh, another man from you know fifteen twenty feet away. And it, am I right? It's a whole different feeling than when you see it on television. Yeah, yeah, and in the indie circuit, yeah, you're definitely you feel that when it hit that ring. I mean, smaller venues, so yeah. you don't have all the people that are suppressing that sound. Yeah, more intimate so, affair. Yeah, yeah. So, so back mid south, you know those days. And did you watch? I mean, I, I think everybody in our age group probably watched. Or most people watch WWF at the time, yeah. and uh, you know, I mean, WrestleMania and things like that. I mean, uh, oh man, I did everything I could do to completely inundate myself with professional wrestling from as early as I possibly could. In St. Louis, we uh, had the opportunity to have reruns of Wrestling at the Chase, and we'd be able to see WWF and NWA mm-hmm. and uh, Georgia Mid South. Uh, you know, some of those things were were piped in uh, where the. Uh, uh, while world of wrestling uh you know we'd be able to catch that so we had uh a really rich wrestling community and then i went to memphis they had a really rich wrestling community where i mean a lot of the wrestlers were from around there so you may see wrestlers at gas stations and things of that sort you know i actually went swimming with jerry lawler one time at a uh, water park I just so happened to, he was at the water park and I latched onto him and didn't leave his side all day. By the end of the day, I got to wear his crown. I got to wear his cape, hold his title, uh, which was the AWA title. But as far as I was concerned back then, it was the uh, USWA uh, Universal Championship, I believe, or uh, the Undisputed title. It was one of those. It was one a title that uh, I believe... Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning, Kerry uh, Von Erich um, had had merged, and then Jerry Lawler won it from, uh, I believe, Kerry Von Erich. So it was the undisputed title. That was the biggest title. And as far as my world was concerned, that was the biggest title in the world. That, I mean, that was the universal title. So I got to hold that, and that's when I really... Um, you know, knew that I wasn't going to do anything else uh, until I I went for my professional wrestling. When you look at Jerry the King Lawler, I mean, the guy is, you want everything merged and then it became the the WWF. Now the WWE became the superpower. I mean, he's one of the top, as far as an announcer, Mm -hmm. I mean, he didn't really wrestle, I, I don't think, in the... In, he in did. The WWF. Early did he? on, okay. he, I believe he won the King of the Ring. Uh, he had a feud with uh, uh, Bret Hart. Oh, he, yeah. Okay, that's right. That's yeah, right. He did the uh, ECW invasion where WWF guys came over to ECW and, and took over the show. And he was actually on ECW pay-per-view. Uh, As a wrestler? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Why? Well, I mean, I mainly, I guess my my memory has faded because I, I I guess I see him more as an announcer now because he's done such an amazing job as an announcer. Yeah. And it's because he's such a a great character. Yeah. He's got charisma, uh, you know, just oozing out of his pores. So he can 
do that transition, go down to Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, and back then it was, he would go down to Memphis, Tennessee and call out macho man or call out, uh, the rock who was flex Cavana at that time before he really made the transition Mm -hmm. onto the big stage. And they would have these feuds going on down there. Um, and then he would be able to, to be taken seriously in the Memphis area and then be this kind of joke character, on Vince McMahon's WWF uh, Raw, you know, or WWE now. Yeah, interesting. And, and speaking of so wrestling, for you, it's it's a family business, correct? Well, my uh, wife is my valet, so she walks me to the ring, and uh, she does everything she can do to watch my back, which means she cheats for me uh, <laughs> constantly. <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, You never know exactly what she's going to have in her purse, uh, she's been known to have powder. She's been known to have the oriental salt. She's been known to have foreign objects, handcuffs, chains, uh, you name it. She does what she's got to do to protect her investment. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So the powder would, uh, so you're blowing powder in people's face. You're blinding them so you can, you can blindside them and take them down. I got to do what I got to do to win, man. Right. I got to stay on top, you know, take me to the pay window. All right. So being on top, have you held uh, have you held a strap in in your league? Uh, not the one that I, I'm not the ones that I'm in uh, currently. I did take four or five years off from wrestling uh, to get married, and my wife and I had a baby. Uh, our wonderful daughter, Phoenix Rain, she's unbelievably awesome. Um, so then, when we kind of get parenthood figured out, I decided to get back into the ring. Um, Chrissy came with me. She was already my valet before. She had already been trained to pro wrestling and had a pro wrestling match. Oh, so you met her through wrestling? Well, I met her through wrestling, but it wasn't until we met that she really kind of started picking it up and, uh, you know, wanting to get involved and do some of it herself. Uh, I actually met her through a wrestling friend of mine, Tristan Hayes in Chicago. Um, I was doing a lot of traveling at the time. I was doing a lot of triple shot weekends, which is uh, three shows in a weekend, which was usually three states in a weekend. So like Wisconsin, Indiana, Missouri, uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I was coming back through Wisconsin on a Saturday night. I had a show in uh, Missouri on a Sunday, and I stopped to, or I called Tristan Hayes and said, hey, let me take you out for dinner, you know, get you something to eat, and We'll catch up. <clears throat> and uh, his wife ha- or his fiance at the time happened to be going to high school with who would later become my wife. Uh, so they were like, you you got to meet this redhead. You got to meet this redhead. And then I did. And the rest is history. So she lived up in Chicago. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Right. She's a transplant from Chicago. She yeah. grew up in Bensonville area just outside of O'Hare. And she moved here from New Lenox, Illinois, just outside of uh, Juliet. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So now, so you, now you're working together. You're in tandem. You know, we're working. What league is it that you're you're involved in? Uh, my main home fed is Southern Illinois Championship Wrestling, which is Larry Matisic and Herb Simmons, the right hand and the left hand of Sam Munchnik, who ran Wrestling at the Chase. Uh, Larry Matisic was the voice of Wrestling at the Chase, the guy that you always saw with the microphone, uh, doing the interviews, doing the commentary, and the guy that you still hear on some of the reruns that we have on our, our television show, Charter Channel 198, every Sunday. Um, but it, what's interesting about it is that um, you've got so much history there, but they keep bringing in all this new talent. 
So they're really trying to move with the times and, and, uh, you know, evolve as, as things move on. I also work for new breed wrestling. We just debuted there Saturday. Um, and that's basically what, um, some of the guys from World League Wrestling, Harley Race's organization, stayed down in the area that Harley Race was in, the Eldon, Missouri area, uh, and they they run in Fairgrove, Missouri. They're going to have a show in Chillicothe. Uh, we're going to be there uh, May 6th. We'll be in Chillicothe, Missouri. May 27th, I believe, we will be in uh, Eldon, Missouri. Um, and I got a big show coming up this Saturday at, uh, our, our home fed Southern Illinois championship wrestling SICW, And that's going to be, uh, the 15th, uh, April 15th, April 29th. I believe we're going to be in Milstadt, Illinois with SICW. Uh, so we keep busy, you know, we we're all around and, uh, there's a number of, of organizations. I've wrestled for over 30 different organizations. I've wrestled in six different states, and I've wrestled on television in Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, or, uh, Chicago, Indianapolis, St. Louis, and Kansas City. I, I almost started to name off all in the like states one, I've wrestled in. In like but, one, one weekend? Um, sometimes in one weekend, man, <laughs> at least, you know, two or three of them I, I've done in one weekend, you know, I've done a TV taping in Chicago and then popped down to Indianapolis for a TV taping in Indianapolis, uh, you know, things like that. And right now we do TV tapings once a month, uh, at our facility in East Carondelet, East Carondelet Community Center. Yeah. And is it, you know, the indie circuit, is it possible to make a good living with that or do you have to diversify your, your income? Have to diversify for the most part, man. If you're not one of the, the big names that gets covered a lot in the magazines, and uh, if you are one of those big names, you probably got a contract with one of the at least mid-level companies that, that are paying a salary. But for the most part, it, these guys are out here uh, you know, grinding, promoting, self-promoting, building brands, and they're doing it for little to nothing. Luckily, I do a little better now than I did in years gone by. Uh, I know that, that there were times that, you know, I would go to three states in a weekend and uh, sleep in White Castle parking lots, uh, you know, after the after party for a few hours. And then I'd head to the next show, make the next town, do it all over again. So uh, that grind really didn't uh, uh, see me make a, a financial uh yeah, so impact, it's, a, it's a passion. Impact. Passion as an entertainer. That passion that as an entertainer, man. You're not going to make a lot of money at it, but it, that's just like politics. Like if you become a millionaire in politics, you're not doing it right, you know. I, but if you become a millionaire in professional wrestling, you're you know one percent of one percent that did it right, you know, and and got that right wave. Yeah. And, just just like any any entertainment type thing, whether it be an actor, a director. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's. Oh, with the freelance I do, I'm diversifying. I think anymore in this day and age, uh, there's so much competition that you have to do some different things. I'm, I'm trying to think what book. I've been listening to a lot of a podcast by this guy, Tim Ferriss. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then he talks about different books and, and whatnot. So then I'm reading all these different things. And this one of the authors, I think it was might have been a blog that, that he directed to, was uh, was saying like, yeah, if you can do three thing you can either do one thing and be in that top one percent or ten percent or whatever it is to, for success or whatever that definition is or you know you can do three things and be in like the top 25 percent and then uh you know kind of diversifying so yeah there's 
you know, I, th- I think that's what has to happen in this day and age. Yeah, that, that definitely has to happen in this day and age. Unfortunately, uh, it takes away from some of the focus that is required for certain things, like with uh, running for office. I, I uh, kind of lost a little bit of my focus with the DJ company, doing wedding receptions, school dances, corporate events. Uh, didn't hustle as hard doing that because I was running for state representative. So, uh, like Will Smith says, if you have a plan B, it takes away from plan A, but you're right. You do have to diversify in today's day and age because we have access to information. We have access to technology and we can diversify. You can be somebody who has a podcast and also writes books, uh, you know, or a politician that also has a podcast or their own web show or you know, it, but it all goes hand in hand. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, a lot of the things that I do go hand in hand. Well, we, I, I want to jump. We'll jump back to wrestling and talk a little bit about. Uh, I w- want to get your get your views on the current WrestleMania. But you recently had some good some good press in the uh, Huffington Post. So why don't you tell the listeners about that? Yeah, uh, Daniel Morans uh, wrote an article about me for the Huffington Post, and uh, it was published a couple of weeks ago. So if you guys want to check that out, I think it's entitled. Democrats finally have a pro wrestler in their corner. Um, and I and I'll put a link. You know, you can give me that link. I'll put it on the show description so they can they can check that out. Very cool. Very cool. He also, um, in doing research for that article, uh, Daniel's producer or editor decided that they wanted to also have a companion video with it. So they put out a companion video, embedded it in the article first. And then put out the companion video, and that got sixty-five thousand plus views. Nice. So that was pretty. That, cool. that should be your nef- next tough enough audition tape. <laughs> <laughs> well, those didn't do bad. I think they got uh, three to five thousand views between the two. Well, maybe now you have the Huff Post. Vince McMahon will will take you more serious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, Whoever produces that. Although I think I'm. Uh, I, I just had a birthday. Oh. I, I stopped aging at. Uh, 30 and I decided that I was going to start upgrading so at 30 I became Curtis 3.0 a whole new system with all the problems of the old one now I'm at (laughs) Curtis 3.7 as of a couple days ago so uh, I don't think that my body's prepared for the schedule that Vince McMahon makes those guys keep Uh, (laughs) and I don't think I'd want it to be I think I could come in handy in a uh, Paul Heyman uh, role as maybe a microphone or Someone that that gets the monster over, you know, that can be that manager. Uh, I think I would do well in commentary or play by play. But so you're transitioning. Your role is transi- transitioning. Yeah, I'd really like to get involved in creative as well. So Vince McMahon, if you got a spot in creative, let's talk because uh, you know fans are are starting to see some stale th- things going on. Man, let's pick it up a step. Yeah, definitely. No, when we were watching, I was watching WrestleMania with uh, this, this buddy of mine. Jeremy Corey, he had a had a birthday, so every year that's around that time. So he gets a group of people together for WrestleMania, and he's he's a creative as well, and uh, he works for currently Cool Fire Studios. So he's developing all kinds of digital content and just amazing things. So hopefully we'll get him get him on the podcast sooner than later. But, I know somebody else that works there, uh, DJ D Mega, Dan Piscotti. Oh, you know, I, I think I'm I'm Facebook friends. But, yeah, uh, yeah. But but so how does so looking at politics, how does professional wrestling, those skills you learn translate into politics? Man, you would be shocked at how well professional wrestling prepares you for the world of politics, because one, I mean, any uh, professional wrestler knows that you're going to have trolls. You're going to have haters and 
I mean, they are top level, grade A, master level haters in professional wrestling. The the political haters, novices in comparison, man. <laughs> novices. And, and most of them can't uh, hold a debate, you know, if they really want to come after it. So, uh, you know, you just meet people on the issues and a, a lot of times they get lost. But professional wrestling, uh, you know, just the, the aspect of being a shameless self-promoter, being someone who is going to grind and create that brand for themselves uh, really help prepare for politics, you know, because you have to do that. You have to brand yourself. You have to create, uh, you know, your public entity, and then you have to take it to the doors and you have to sell people on it. And it's kind of the same thing as professional wrestling. You have to sell, 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 sell. So it's very much the same. And, and there is, there are entertainment aspects that are, are involved in politics. You know, you have to captivate your audience. You have to keep them uh, passionate about what you're talking about. If an audience gets boring, I don't care how important the issue you're talking about is, you're going to lose them. You're going to lose their passion. They're not going to walk out of that room wanting to get to work on what you're talking about. So I think that pro wrestling's really prepared me for people to, to leave and be ready to get going and be ready for that next show or that next canvas or that next phone bank. So it's really kind of went hand in hand and prepped me. Yeah, and I, and, I, and I think looking into and sharing with the audience, the listeners, why why you decided to get into politics, I think the question that's fitting is, is what is the importance of having citizen representatives in, in this day and age? Absolutely important. I think that our representatives have shown up until this point that they're not willing anymore to represent the people. I think Citizens United had a lot to do with that, you know, getting money in politics, but... Uh, if we're going to represent ourselves, this is why I got into politics. If not us, who? If not us, who? People are out there making decisions for us. They're making decisions for our families. And if we don't step up and try to get a, a seat at that table, our families don't have representation. Regular people aren't being represented. Wait, wait, you can't afford lobbyists, Curtis? Well, uh, I, I guess if enough <laughs> of us came together and uh, collective action, you know, uh, went outside of a building and occupied, then... We could lobby on our own, but yeah, yeah we no, don't no, have well, unlimited power, money. Power of the people. But you know, no, I think what you're d definitely what, what you're getting at, and I'm just trying to be funny here, but uh, hey, man. <laughs> but no, looking at that, we, um, yeah, you have, have these lobbyists that are representing corporations or people with money, and then it kind of, our current representation, you know, does isn't listening to the citizens because, you know, their ear is to those with, with money. And, and I think it's, you know, if you look at it both... Uh, you know, and that's a bipartisan issue, really, because, I mean, most of the politicians are controlled by someone else. So looking Isn't that at unfortunate? it, yeah, more, more as an independent and, and looking at people having their voice. Yeah. Um, well, people need to have their voice. And, and if our representatives aren't reflecting what you want, what you desire and, and what you feel needs to happen for society, then you need to step up and make it happen. Because nobody's going to do it for you, and I figured that out somewhere along the way. And an old, uh, you know, seventy-year-old Jewish man told me that uh, that nobody's going to do it for you. If you want a, a political revolution, it's going to have to be from the bottom up, and you are going to have to do it. Uh, you know, not me, us. So when you look at the the political spectrum right now, you see a whole lot of corporatist on, like you said, both sides. So 
It's not about party anymore. It's about people. And you have to make sure that the people representing you are willing to represent you and not the big moneyed interests that have gotten them in their their seat. Take my race, for example. I got 36% with $6,000. My opponent raised $77,000 himself and a pack spent over $30,000 on a negative mailer against me. I was against over a $100,000 campaign with $6,000 and I got 36% of the vote. My opponent bought his seat. There is no way around it. He bought his seat. He was bought and paid for before he ever got there. He even was willing to tell voters, I'm going to vote with whatever the party tells me to vote. I'm going to vote with my party. I'm going to vote with the people. And I made sure I tried to tell as many people as I could that. I hit over 6,000 doors myself. I got 7,200 plus votes. Every person that I talked to voted for me, plus over 1,200 people. I'm doing it again. I can't outspend him, but I can outwork him. And I'm going to because I want that seat because the people in District 107 deserve representation and they deserve representation for the people of the people and by the people from one of them because someone who's never understood struggle is not going to be able to represent people who struggle. And that's why I'm here. Yeah, so I see your passion and see the just the raw emotion and I, I you know I think it's coming through on the mic but yeah if it, the audience is looking in your eyes man I can I can definitely see it but uh, and with that and I think part of your success I mean really is an uphill battle uh, let, let me step back for a minute so you ran as a uh, Democrat mm-hmm. in an area that's primarily Republican and you called had, a GOP safe zone so, so and you had success but and I think part of that explain how I guess the question is, you know, you consider yourself more of an independent, but you ran as a Democrat. So how did that how did that affect uh, success? Uh, maybe not getting the seat. What, what was I mean, explain that whole. I think that there was a Trump me. I think that there was a wave of Trumpism that hit this country. And especially in Missouri, when Hillary Clinton lost by 19 percent at the top of the ballot, it's going to be extremely difficult for any Democrat to pull it off in Missouri. Democrats lost almost across the board. I think we only won like two or three seats in the entire state, and we lost everything else. Over half of the seats were uncontested. Uh, So if we don't give them a fight, then they're walking in there with uh, basically unlimited money from their lobbyists, from their corporate donors, from their puppet masters, and, and... People are not even in their equation when it comes to that. Well, and I think you can say the same thing for established Democrats because they have a lot of money. Oh, yeah. So so I think what we're looking at, and I guess my question is, uh, you consider yourself more of an independent, but you ran as a Democrat because really in our in our current political uh, um, environment— I, you know, is it possible for someone to win as an independent? I mean, there's very well, few with that, that name I, recognition. I don't even know if I call myself an independent. I don't know what I call myself. I'm just like anybody else, man. I don't like labels. <laughs> I don't like labels. The fact is, is I am me and I'm going to do the best job I can do. The job isn't to be a Democrat or a Republican. The job is a state representative. Your job is to represent the people. Keep your ears open, your mouth shut, pay attention to what people want, what people need, and then act upon their behalf, act upon their will. That's your job. It's not to be a Democrat or Republican, and it's not to vote for your corporate interest or the big money interest. 
your job is to represent the people to the best of your ability. So this isn't for me about being a Democrat or a Republican. Yeah, I took Bernie's path. Bernie showed me the path, showed everybody the playbook. He opened it up. He said, if you want to change, we're in a duopoly. We're in a two-party oligarchy. If you don't pick a side, you don't get to play the game. If you don't pick a team, you're not going to get on the field. He showed everybody. And when I saw that and he said, look, I can't do this by myself. I'm going to need help. I, I was one of the first ones that raised my hand, stood up and said, you're right. You're right. Real people have to step up and represent real people or we're just going to have same uh, as we always had. And he said enough is enough. I'm saying enough is enough. I'm tired of, uh, you know, bending to the will of corporations and big money interest and lobbyists. Uh, it's time for the people to rise up. It's time for the people to have a voice again. And it's going to take regular people standing up and saying, look, I don't have any strings on me. I'm ready to be here for you. Very nice. And, and that's what when I when I say independent, I know when I was, you know, helped you canvas a few times mm -hmm. that that was one of the things I found you were able to chat with. Uh, with a lot of the, a lot of the people about different different issues, so it wasn't just you were like, oh, my issues are all with one party. So that's why I say independent, independent thinker. You, you know, you have your experiences in life. You have those issues that you you feel are important, and then th that's what impressed me about you is that you were able to discuss that with people, even though you didn't have, you know, not every view that you had was in agreement with them. But I think the fact that you were able to speak to them about it and have an intelligent conversation is what won over a lot of people that probably normally, if they saw just just that placard or saw your name, you know, Curtis Wild, which is, which stretches the realm of politics, but <laughs> Democrat, you know, yeah. by you talking to those people and, and being there and, and having that conversation, I think that's, that's what really, really solidified you as that citizen representative. Well, what they saw was they saw someone that was willing to break the perception, break the perception that you could judge a book by its cover. Uh, someone that was willing to step out there and look like I just stepped out of a Sons of Anarchy episode or out of a professional wrestling ring and still be able to speak on the issues intelligently. Uh, my opponent was a, an attorney and the Lindenwood Democrats, Lindenwood College, uh, shout out to my, my Lindenwood Democrats there, my young Dems. Um, but they tried to work with the young Republicans and uh, work out a debate and he wouldn't debate me. He absolutely <laughs> refused to debate me. I said, look, I'm a professional wrestler. You're a lawyer. This should be a walk in the park for you. This should be easy, right? But he, he just couldn't touch me on the issues, and he knew it. And I think, you know, we talked about, um, you know, situation with Trump, whether, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not a particularly a fan, but, you know, I'm not, I don't need to add to the vitriol. But looking at that. I, I despise that man, just, <laughs> just to let you know. Yeah, I, I guess I, I'm, I'm in the boat there. You know, I'm not. I hated I, him well before yeah. he ran for president, yeah. though. So definitely not. And I voted, you know, I'll vote Republican if there's the right candidate. I don't feel I didn't feel he's the right candidate. I think he's a con man. And uh, and there's a lot of people that I know I'm close friends with that. Uh, oh, I guess you'd say are, are buying into what he's selling, which I just think that it's, you know, it's kind of a crock. But, uh, you know, hey, we, we won't get too far into that. Well, we well to trim it all away, I think fire. a vote for Donald Trump was an act of domestic terrorism. Definitely, man. Put, throw it out there, baby. <laughs> throw it out there. But looking at that, no, we have the, uh, 
but I, but I think what brought him, you had said, you know, there is that, that public thirst for not the career politician. And I think that was the problem with Hillary Clinton's campaign was that she was the, I mean, I think she was the, the poster child yeah. for, for career politicians. And that's just not what the public wanted. You know, wherein Bernie started out, no name recognition. 3%. Um, and then, yeah, then look where he is now. Right. Um, just look what he became at the end of that. And of He's course, he was basically railroaded. leading the Democratic Party for, as an independent from outside the Democratic Party. He's the leader of Democratic Party outreach. Uh, and he's basically their poster child right now. So to all those people that want to say Bernie isn't a Democrat, he's more of an FDR Democrat than most of the corporatists out there calling themselves Democrats while voting as Republicans. But we look at that and that and that's the thing where I think with your campaign and the comparison and a lot of people that ran that grassroots style, uh, you know, slowly they built it up by connecting with the people. And I think you can say that, you know, Trump connected with his people. But uh, when you look and maybe there's some grassroots non-corporate Republicans that have done it. But I think that comparison is when when Bernie started out back in the day. Yeah, he lost a bunch of elections, but now, you know, you've built up that first round of name recognition. So now the next time you do it, people are, oh, I know this Curtis Wild guy. So hopefully that that momentum will carry over. Let me touch on that real quick. One of the first pieces of legislature that my opponent tried to put through and he's still trying to put it through was to and my real name is Curtis Wells. My show name is Curtis Wilde. That's all anybody knows me as. You can Google the other name. You're not going to pull up anything. Curtis Wilde is the only identity I have. Is this so a the conversation po- with Calcaterra exclusive? It, uh, no, not necessarily. Son of a bitch. I, I've never. God damn. I've never hit it whatsoever. You know, but everybody knows me as Curtis Wilde. Um, to the point where, when my wife and I got married almost seven years ago, uh, her family gave us gifts as Mr. and Mrs. Curtis and Chrissy Wilde. Uh, so, I mean, that's literally all anybody knows me as, but one of the first things he tried to do was ensure that no one with a show name or anything other than their legal or maiden name could put their name on the ballot. So he tried to prevent me from running as Curtis Wilde. So either I'm going to, to get it in before the date, uh, where I'm on, have ballot access as Curtis Wilde or we're going to legally change our names because there's nothing he can do to touch me. And I'm going to show him that. Well, maybe that's an exclusive. You're going to legally change. I need something here, man. Give me, give me something. We're most likely going to legally change our names. Okay. All right. This first, you've heard it first here. (laughs) If, if you listen, it's the podcast though. They could listen to it a year from now and then they've heard it somewhere else. But, but this is, we're, we're stamping this right now. Give me that endorsement, Curtis. You got it, man. You got it. Ladies, no, no, that's, ladies and gentlemen, Emmy award-winning documentarian. Oh, thank you. Yes, Ken yes. Calcaterra. But yeah, no, it's interesting, and, and just the fact. Uh, I mean, I guess people should know why you want to 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 represent. Is it because you want to get rich? <laughs> like I just said, man, if you get into politics because, or if you get out of politics and you're rich, you either got bought off, you sold out your people, or you did something wrong. Uh, the highest office in the land is the president of the United States. The guy's only making 400000 a year. So if you're walking out of a state Senate seat as a millionaire, somebody paid you off. Somebody bought you off. You were in somebody's pocket the whole time, and it definitely wasn't the people because they're not going to be able to afford your interest and your needs. 
they're they're trying to make ends meet and they're trying to make sure they got food on the table next week and electricity on. By the way, I just want to touch on this. I, I don't want to ever be called a politician. To me, politician, the word politician is like holy water on a vampire. Like that it's just <laughs> dirty to me. Just like consultant, dirty to me. So if I do uh, get the the fortune of having an elected position uh, where I am representing the people other than the positions I already have within the, inside the Democratic Party I'm a public servant I don't ever want to be called a politician public service is what we need and if we had more public servants we wouldn't have so many problems in our society yeah looking at when you were canvassing and that's one thing you were able to talk to the constituents about uh, different issues. And one of the things you're, I mean, you're a guy that likes to shoot and believes in the second amendment, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if uh, we had more people, more law abiding citizens uh, walking around with training, uh, with registration, uh, just like an automobile, then I think we would have far less crime. I think that's provable in the areas that that's the case. Um, I do think that we need to be responsible gun owners. If we're going to be gun owners, we need to be responsible gun owners. When they wrote that law or when they wrote uh, the Constitution, um, our right to bear arms wasn't for hunting because if you didn't hunt, you didn't eat. It was to protect yourself from a government that was, uh, you know, getting out of hand. So if, yeah, the tyrannical government. A tyrannical King government. King George III. Exactly. Was it the third? Second. Second, okay. I believe it was second. I want to look back yeah. on. It's not a history show. <laughs> um, and, that, and that's another thing. Like people try to test me on on some of these facts. I, I never claimed to be a historian. I never claimed to be a political science major. Uh, you know, I, I'm just a regular person that's going to learn as I go. And the best thing I can do is keep an open ear to represent people to the best of my ability. So I don't know how to do this, but I am willing to learn. Very cool. And a lot of it is, you know, listening. Yeah. And I think a lot of times and, you know, people that are established don't listen as much. And and that as we as we know, no, that's they what, listen, they just listen to the wrong people. Yeah. They listen to whoever is going to keep them in office because that's what's making them money that it's within their best interest to keep their job. Right. Well, it didn't really work for, so what's for keep the Democratic Party. It didn't work for Hillary Clinton. That's true. You know, otherwise but, we might, might maybe history would be different and, and Bernie would be the guy. Who knows? You yeah. can't look back. But. Um, as far as you looking at, you know, well, one story that I, I think you should tell, which uh, is is great. Tell the audience about when you at the uh, Missouri Democratic Convention, how you you stormed the stage. It was, it was, yeah, <laughs> well, that's a proper way. You, I think you you somewhat stormed the stage when everybody else yeah. was in the back. And t tell that story; it's great. Well, in order to tell that story properly, I'm going to have to to rewind to I think four days before that. <laughs> rewind. Uh, about four days before that, we got word as the Bernie delegation of Missouri, Bernie and Hillary split the state by about 50%. It was 0.2% difference. Um, so we got word that the Hillary delegation uh, had turned down an offer from the Bernie delegation to have, we were going to be voting at the state convention for members to the DNC, four elected members, two men, two women. Um, and the Hillary delegation had turned down an offer from the Bernie delegation to put up a man and a woman on our side, a man and a woman on their side, and just call it even, no floor fight, no problem. 
Yeah, which they, seems to be the way that's yeah. representing the people that's yeah. looking at the numbers. Yeah, it seemed to be pretty even. Uh, they said no. They said we'll see you on the floor. So we phone banked. We canvassed our own delegates uh, and did everything we could do to get as many de- of our Bernie delegates to the convention as possible because the vote actually had to take place on the floor. Uh, so if people didn't show, they couldn't vote. Um, they threw out a, a call to action and said, if you want to be on the DNC from the Bernie delegation, uh, let us know. You're going to have to fill out this vetting paperwork and send it in. Filled out the vetting paperwork, sent it in, hadn't heard anything all the way up. In, and this was about four days before. Hadn't heard anything all the way up until the morning of the uh, state convention where our Bernie delegation had a pre-convention meeting to decide. I who, was there, yeah. You were there and, to decide who yeah. uh, they were going to nominate. I hadn't heard anything on the vetting paperwork, so I didn't think that they had chosen me. So my wife and I, as we usually are, are uh, uh, what the stylishly late is that, is that the fashionably term? Late. fashionably late. Oh, that's yes. right. We're fashionably late. We were about twenty minutes late. <laughs> And uh, when I, I walked in, Rob O'Connell, veteran Rob O'Connell, who was one of our Bernie delegates, uh, grabbed me by the arm and he said, get your on stage. I said, why? He said, just get on stage. Get on stage now. Rush me to the stage. I get on stage. I look at the person next to me. I said, why am I here? They said, oh, you're on the DNC. I said, huh? They're like, oh, well, you're part of our delegation. We're going to vote for you to be on the yeah, you, you were one of our, nomination, yeah, our nominees. Yeah. yeah, so she explained it to me. I was like, wow, all right, cool. So then we go on later in the show. Uh, the numbers were released. We had 143 more delegates, I believe was the number. Something like that, yeah. 134 yeah. maybe. Um, so we knew we had the numbers, but I also knew that not very many people in that room knew who I was. So I didn't know how much support the other men had on the Hillary side from the Bernie delegation because I didn't know hardly any of them. You know, that was the first time, as you know, that many of us were meeting in person. So uh, I didn't know that I had it locked. I I wasn't positive that we were going to win. I didn't know how it was going to go. So uh, I let everyone else speak from the middle of the room. I don't know why they started giving them the mic in the middle of the room while there was a stage. Well, it was in the back of the room. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it was the middle of the room, but I was sitting in the front. So yeah, I had to turn around. Mm -hmm. So, and even, so they basically put everyone else in the round as you, you know, well, even the the, people in the back, those people were facing their back. So being in the middle mm -hmm. of the room was crazy. If you're in the front, you have to turn around. Mm -hmm. If you're in the back, you're looking at their back. It was, it was bizarre. So the one thing that I knew is that as soon as I got the microphone, I was going to hit the stage. I didn't know what I was going to say. I didn't know where we were going with it, but I knew that when I got the microphone, I was going to hit the stage because that's where people needed to be to speak. And then everyone else kept speaking from the middle of the room. And uh, there was a little bit, you want to go, you want to go. And I'd let everyone else go first because, you know, I didn't want to change it up and then have to go back to the middle of the room and let them finish out, you know? So I took the mic and it was basically the end of the day. I went up there and uh, gave a rousing, uh, Bernie Sanders-like speech, Bernie Sanders-esque speech uh, that really got the crowd pumped. Even some of the Hillary delegation were cheering. Uh, and I, as I understand later, uh, they also voted for me. Some of the Hillary delegation voted for me as well. So it wasn't just the Bernie delegation. So that was nice to see, a little unity that day. But uh, as a little aside, and this is an exclusive because nobody really knows this, Jackson Thompson uh, who ended up being my treasurer for my state representative run, but was also uh, 
basically the chair uh, of the Bernie delegation that day han- handled the uh, hosting on our our side um, and and the voting for the at large delegates and things like that. He oversaw the counting of the votes for the DNC members. And he walks by me and he's got this really sad face and he goes, I'm sorry, Curtis. I did all I could. I said, it's cool, man. I didn't expect to win. And then they threw our names up there and I won. (laughs) I looked at him and I said, I'm going to kick your ass. (laughs) 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 Right, man. That's very cool. And then my wife runs over and starts crying. And then it finally sunk in. I, I had just won a national seat in the Democratic Party kind of by accident. Uh, and, and that was very similar to when I want to see it on the state c- committee. I'm also on the state committee. Uh, and that was a situation where I was going to nominate Jackson Thompson to the state committee. And we show up the day of the when we were going to have that voting, the redistrict or restructuring. Uh, uh, um, and I look at Jackson as I'm walking in. I said, I'm going to nominate you. Right. And he said, no, I'm moving to Florida. I said, oh, so what are we going to do today? And he's like, I don't know. We'll just kind of, you know, roll with it when we get inside. We go inside and there was about 10 people there. And I look over at my wife. I was like, well, if Jackson's not running, you can nominate me if you want to. And she nominated me and I won. So, yeah, I've got uh, to go down the line. I'm the chairman of Legislative District 107, Legislative District 103, the vice chair of Senatorial District 2, St. Charles County Committee man for the St. Peter's Township, State Committee man representing Senatorial District 2, and National Committee man in Missouri. Wow, and you're able to keep and, all that all that together? The yeah, meetings are, yeah. It's all manageable? Well, and there's a lot of meetings. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how that usually goes. But I'm you know, going to all those meetings, but I'm also trying to uh, get to even more meetings and, and some of the other like-minded organizations that are uh, mobilizing around the issues that are important to everyone. So I, I'm been really busy just like this last weekend. I went down and, uh, went to the training for jobs for justice, uh, at the Jackson days event, um, in Springfield, Missouri, left there, went to a professional wrestling show, did my thing at the professional wrestling show. Uh, the next morning woke up, had breakfast, killed the ride, uh, from Springfield to Missouri, went to Corey Bush's event uh, Sunday. And uh, from there, my wife had some massages and I had a meeting at a venue. And we're going to be bringing professional wrestling to just off of Main Street, St. Charles. Oh, in a, so, yeah. I love Main Street. Same, that's an exclusive. Man, I, I can't even speak today, man. That's an exclusive. Main Street, St. Yeah. Charles is no, a phenomenal such a, place. such a charming area. Yeah, yeah. definitely. It's yeah, got, let me know when that is. I'll... Uh, you know, help Looking you, at September. you know, throw it out there and I'll, I'll come check that out. It sounds awesome. Looking at September. Um, but do you feel, um, one last politics question mm-hmm. and then we'll get back to wrestling to wrap it up. But, um, do you feel so as a member, you went to Atlanta as far as the DNC is concerned. Yeah. I mean, do you feel that as a regular guy, as that representative that you on that level, you're able to make a difference on the committee or is it, is it too many of the, of the what, corporate type people? Well, um, or does it matter just, what the policy just, is? Just judging from the votes, uh, before I got there, I was being told that the DNC was about 25% progressives, 
um, you know, which is basically Bernie people. That's what a lot of people call progressives, even though you don't have to be a Bernie person to be considered progressive. It's all about the ideals. It's all about the, the issues. Um, but when I got there, the vote was, uh, almost even. And then for the chair, it was 200 to 235. Tom Perez did win, but I mean, we're right at that threshold. We're right around that 50% mark of, uh, you know, people that, that realize that these progressive ideals are what America wants, uh, and people that are still kind of holding on to ideals that, uh, may have lost us elections. And give you know. an example. So some of the listeners may not know what a progressive ideal is. What were some examples? Fully funded education, universal health care, uh, collective bargaining, a strong middle class, uh, income equality, social justice, uh, you know, is sustainability. All of these things. We, we need to figure out how to uh, work our society to take care of all people to the best of our ability. And if we have a for-profit pharmaceutical industry and insurance industry, then the people aren't going to get the care that they need because there's too many people worrying about putting profit before people. And we got to put people before profit. We got to put main street before wall street, or we're not going to have the society that we could have. We're not going to do as good of a job as we could do here in America. If we don't get behind some of these ideals, luckily, if you don't have that, uh, that socialist, uh, anchor put on it or, uh, the Democrat or Republican label, most of America polls that they agree with Bernie Sanders issues. They agree with Bernie Sanders platform, which are the, the progressive issues that we're talking about. Uh, you know, putting, like I said, people before profit, Main Street before Wall Street, and a government that's of, for, and by the people. Um, interesting story before we go out. A lot of people see the DNC members as... Uh, you know, maybe the elite, um, maybe all of them have money, things like that. So far, I've went to two DNC meetings. One of them was Philadelphia. It was the day after the convention in Philadelphia. Uh, and one of them was in Atlanta uh, just this last month. And I had to crowdfund to get to both of them. I had to crowdfund to, you know, for my flight, hotel, all that good stuff. And... I was probably the only DNC member that slept on a floor in a hotel room both occasions. Point another DNC member that did that, and I'll buy you a coffee. But the fact is, is that there is a new breed of DNC members that are coming up that aren't these corporatists, that aren't the elite, that aren't rich, that are just regular people. And there is a huge push, not only within the DNC, but within the Democratic Party and within, you know, the whole political landscape of regular people saying enough is enough. We're taking this thing back and saying no to the status quo. Gotcha. So are you, you're not saying that profit is bad. No, I'm not saying profit is bad. I'm saying we have to put people before profit. See, my dad was a hardcore Republican, but he knew he was also one of the first managers for Federal Express. And his managerial mindset, his uh, thought process when it comes to being a manager was people, service, profit, which was a little bit at odds with his Republican thought processes. But that's what I always took from him was people, service, profit, but people first, they will provide a good service for you, whether it's in business or whether it's in your society. 
and then you will have a profit, whether it's a monetary profit or whether you've profited off of the investments you've made in your community. To me, that's a profit. To me, I don't understand why we're still having the debate on, on universal health care and fully funded education because that's an investment. That's an investment. And if you want to talk, you want to boil it down to just dollars and cents, that's a huge investment that we're making in the future of our country to make sure that our next generations will be healthy and well-educated. And a healthy, well-educated society is a powerful thing. Right on, man. Right on. And you look at with like automation that's coming through this, everything with robotics. Mm -hmm. And at some point, we're going to lose a lot of jobs. We're going to have to. We are going to have to. And people are always talking about creating jobs, creating jobs. Shouldn't our jobs be to create less work for humanity? I mean, in the end, when it all boils down, if you stop looking at just the dollars and cents, that should be our job. So if there's automation that's coming through, it's going to take jobs away from people. Maybe we need to start considering a basic income, a universal basic income like other countries have. But the fact is, is that if we don't allow this automation to come in, we're stifling innovation. We're stifling improvements in our society. And we cannot do that in the name of profit. Gotcha. But even with that, when your health care is tied to your job and you don't have a job, what do you do? And I know a lot of truck drivers laws and, and yeah. you get in legislators and senators that will pass universal health care. No, no, I get it. But most people that that say, well, hey, I'm, I'm covered. I have a job now. But if you have three million truck drivers that aren't going to have a job and then, yeah, then you need to get your representatives to, to have that. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I agree. I look, yeah. I look at something like the Venus Project and we're not quite there yet, but I think we need to start making moves to get towards a society that does away with money. Uh, that, that becomes a resource-based economy. The Venus Project is something that Jacques Fresco uh, came to out of uh, meetings with Bugminster Fuller, out of meetings with Albert Einstein. He did lunch with both of those guys, and I was fortunate enough to do lunch with uh, Jacques Fresco. Albert Einstein? Oh. No. I was, <laughs> not that old yet, man. Don't let the hair fool you. I know I got a lot of gray up here, but uh, he, he did lunch with Albert Einstein, Buckminster Fuller. I was fortunate enough to, myself and my wife were fortunate enough to, to do lunch with him and Roxanne Meadows and learn about the Venus Project and learn how if we use the resources of our planet intelligently for all the needs of all mankind, we can do away with money and live a life that, I mean, Star Wars or Star, Star Trek, Trek yeah. uh, you know, had it really close to what we could be doing if we, we stopped worrying about, uh, you know, the profit structures yeah, and the, yeah. the corporate uh, uh, and even a certain aspect of, the level of ownership. Everybody's got to feel ownership over something. Ownership. And the Venus Project says, well, let's make, uh, you know, the very best lawnmower that we can possibly make, maybe a diamond blade. And then you don't have to keep that lawnmower in your garage. It can be delivered, automated, delivered to your house. You can cut your lawn, put it back on the, the trailer, it takes it away. And then your neighbor can do the exact same thing. It's like checking out the very best lawnmower. Like going yeah, to the library. Exactly right. It's resource centers. Mm -hmm. We would have resource centers, and you could order a lawnmower on your app, on a phone. Yeah. You know? Yeah, because I really don't need to need to own a lawnmower, but I need to cut my grass. Exactly so, yeah, right. Okay. And, and nor do you need to, to take up a I bunch don't of room. I want to own a lawnmower, yeah. Exactly. You don't need to take up a bunch of room in your garage or in your carport with a lawnmower when you're only going to need it once a week, once every two weeks. Or if you're really same, lazy, you want some off. The same thing with some of these other things, you know? Why, why do you have uh, uh, a uh, chainsaw when you only needed it once? 
why did you go buy a chainsaw when you only needed it once? You know, so no, you man, that makes it. a lot of sense. Yeah, it's like there's this book I haven't read it yet. I heard about it somewhere that I'm trying to see if the library has it first because yeah, I'm trying to cut back on ownership of certain things. But it's called Treconomics, and it's probably the same thing you're talking about. So once I read it, I'll have to kind cool. of give a little little uh, blog or do something or you I may know, check out put, the audio book. I'm more of an audio book guy. Yeah, yeah, I haven't I haven't seen it yet, but I, I want to at, at least with the library. But I'm I'm looking for that. So Treconomics, but I um, bet somebody may have put it on YouTube already. Just the audio of it. Yeah, maybe possibly. or Audible. I, I think it's yeah, on Audible. Maybe Audible. Um, so I have to maybe subscribe. But speaking of books, I mean, are, are there any books that you would recommend to whether it be the young wrestler, or the young entrepreneur, or uh, somebody that wants to get into politics? I mean, do you have any books that you recommend? Well, there's a, a couple that really helped me along the way. And uh, one of them is Five Minute Manager. Uh, so that, that helped me manage time, be able to delegate, be able to trust other people a little bit. Uh, once you realize how you can manage companies in five minutes, uh, you can manage a whole lot of other aspects of your life correctly and efficiently. Uh, so that's a good one. And then when I got into involved in politics, all politics is local. Uh, by Tip O'Neill is a, an extremely great book, very, uh, you know, helpful. And it's not a huge book. It's an easy read, but it, it's an honest portrayal of, uh, you know, how to get in politics and the fact that politics is local. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter what office you're running for. If you're not knocking doors, if you're not rubbing elbows with the people who you're going to represent, they have no reason to vote for you. So uh, all politics are local, and that really helped to dr drive it home for me. Uh, so those are two books that I highly recommend. And then uh, getting back really quick, uh, I want to talk about what would you think? What oh, Future by Design, Jack Fresco. Okay, cool. Yeah, and I'll, I'll list those on the uh, on the show description. Okay. I want to put those. I, I picked this up. Uh, this guy Tim Ferriss. He always he says he dissects all these things, and yeah. so he's kind of he uh pays homage nice stole yeah. uh, just a lot of things that he likes from podcasts so I'm, i like tim ferris i think i like joe rogan him. more yeah you listen to rogan i listen to rogan a little bit um yeah. but I, I think tim ferris has more things that i can put into play gotcha. where i listen to joe rogan more for entertainment yeah but yeah that, he's a great podcast great guest joe rogan's got me through many many hours of driving in the dead of the night uh, uh, with some extremely thought-provoking things, he's got such great people on there. Sometimes, I mean, he's got uh, uh, Ronda, Dr. Rhonda Patrick. He's got uh, his guy that does Cosmos. Uh, the, oh, is it Neil deGrasse all, Tyson? Yeah, Neil deGrasse Tyson. That guy's awesome. So he, he has people like that on his show. Yeah, you know, he, he has uh, he has some some big big time names. Yeah. Yeah, very yeah. cool, man. But uh, one one quick wrestling question or two of those, and then I have one final question. But it's it's been fascinating, man. I'm enjoying. I'm going to look into the Phoenix Project. Uh -huh. No, 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 the Venus Project. Venus, Phoenix. So I'd have the wrong one. Be like, <laughs> what's Curtis talking about? I'm reading yeah. this, and this is some whack. The Venus Project, resource-based econ economy. It says beyond politics, war, and poverty. Okay, interesting. I'll take a look at that. And uh, but looking at WrestleMania, I mean. Undertaker, somebody I've been watching for years. I'm sure yeah, you as well. Absolutely. But how do you think they handled his? Uh, did they know he was retiring or, or that match? It just seemed kind of anticlimactic to me. I'm sure they knew. I'm sure that uh, that Undertaker felt it was time. I'm sure that Vince knew it was time. Um, it was anticlimactic to me too. 
I think that just in, I don't want to ruin the match too much if, if you haven't seen it, but I'm going to expect considering that it's been out over a week now. That a couple most, weeks, yeah. yeah. A couple weeks. That most, By the time this comes out, yeah. Most people have heard it so uh, or have seen it. So at the very beginning of the match, Undertaker knocked Roman Reigns out twice, and he walks over to the ropes and says, this is my yard, right? Yeah, yeah. You remember yeah. that? So at the end of the match, I thought that... Get off it, my lawn! Yeah. At the end of the match, I thought that it would have been perfect for Roman Reigns to stay out there. Uh, I don't know about Undertaker putting the jacket and a hat back on and doing the whole ceremony, but I thought that it would have been perfect for Roman Reigns to stay out there, Undertaker to grab the microphone, and if he's going to pass the ball, pass it completely and utterly and walk over Roman Reigns and be like, now, this is your yard. Mm-hmm. After the two, this is my yard, this is my yard, and then at the end of the match, you're like, now, this is your yard. Yeah. Protect it. You know, something yeah. like that. Or or he... Uh, it Could was, have brought it full circle. It was one of those things that it was like the match was going good, then he just start beating the crap out of him, which is still, he's still the undertaker. Yeah. So even though he's going to retire or, 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 you know, whatnot, or he's passing the torch... It's just like at the end, he just got, it just like it beats so bad and it just wasn't, it's just like you don't, that's not fitting for uh, some the undead, somebody of that stature, you know, this this yeah. supreme being. Well, I think the story that they were telling with that is even though he, he's the undead, uh, you know, he's, he's still got that human body and that human body's breaking down. They even put that over They They were like, you know, he has the heart, he has the determination, but his body's not keeping up with him. You know, but, so but just they, keep the mythos and just like, okay, he got beat and then he's like, goes up in flames or disappears or, you yeah. know, they put the smoke and he hides under the ring or something, yeah. you know? And it, But then you would have always had that thought that he could have one more match. Now it's kind of a full circle. It's a, yeah. the end. It, we got the, the end, I think. I don't think that he's going to do another match. Um, but if they did something like, you know, the ring got lit, lit from above with a spotlight yeah. and then for, you know, some magical reason, Undertaker disappeared. And at any point, Undertaker could come back. He could have another match. There could always be that speculation. But now people are like, well, he's done. He's pretty yeah. well done. I mean, because it tears up your body totally and yeah, all the travel. And, I mean, you find yourself, I mean, one of my sponsors is a uh, my buddy, Dr. Mark Holland. Do you find yourself like having to get adjustments to the chiropractor or like getting massages? Well, you have your wife's I married massage. a massage therapist. For that reason? No, no. It, it just so happened that that's, that's uh, the extra perk. That was one of her passions, and uh, it's one of the things that makes us such a great team. Is that uh, you know where I need her help, she helps me. Where she needs my help, I help her. We just mesh. And uh, it, I always say that Mama didn't raise no fool. I married a massage therapist, uh, but it really had nothing to do with that. Man, she could have done anything. And I think she's just starting to transition into art. Uh, people are, are really liking her uh, paintings and her creations and uh, they're starting to reward her and she's building her brand as far as that's concerned as well so and so much about brand building yeah, yeah. You know, building that personal brand one last question and once again thanks for being here what advice would you give yourself at age 20 or age 30 even slow down slow down uh, it I didn't get it until I, I came back recently. Uh, and I mean, my first match was December of 99 and I didn't really, it didn't click until I came back about three years ago. Uh, so what I was always told was if you're going slow, go slow. If you feel like you're going slow, go slower, work smarter, not harder. 
and none of that clicked until I came back recently. I finally figured out how to work smarter and not harder. I finally figured out how to slow down and uh, make that interaction with the crowd more a part of my personal brand when it comes to the professional wrestling. Uh, because I know how to do all the moves properly. I don't have to do them 10,000 miles a minute. I don't have to be the super athlete that some of these other guys are in order to give a great entertaining show that people are going to pay to come back for over and over and over again. So I'm, you're not going to see me doing moonsaults. You're not going to see me doing flips over the ropes and <laughs> things like that. Uh, but you will see me hit an Arn Anderson spine buster like nobody in the St. Louis area, nobody in the Midwest. You will see me, uh, you know, punch somebody directly in the face and, uh, you know, hit things that you might not expect a guy like me to hit, like a jumping spinning kick or uh, a spin wheel kick, things like that. If anybody knows wrestling, a a trouble in paradise, uh, I can get up and and hit a trouble in paradise. And that's a... I I don't even know what that is. You you start into the guy and you kind of almost do a cartwheel with your legs and bring your foot around and kick him in the forehead. Uh, so right on, right I, on. I can do Google that. Everyone. Elbow drops off the top ropes. I I can do missile drop kicks, but I do things like that a whole lot less now because I don't really have to do that in order to get my point across. You know, I used to say you don't have to hit a guy ten thousand times with a steel chair uh, in order to make that one punch count. You know, so like a guy, another guy might want to hit a guy three times with a steel chair in order to get a real good effect from that crowd. I'll grab that same guy by the back of the head and and ask the crowd, you want it? You want it? You want me to punch him in the face? And I get the crowd going, and then I give them the reward, and then I give them the payoff. So it's all about pacing. It's all about um, the show. It's all about the show that you're putting on, being mindful of angles, being mindful of what you're doing to the other guy and how it's being perceived from the audience. And it's very much like politics. Very cool. Well, <laughs> Curtis Wild, Wild for the People. I love that moniker the best. W Y L D E for the People.com. Well, best of luck to you, man. It was great uh, spending this time. And uh, I know you're going to, big things are, are in the future for you. And I know you're going to do a lot of good for the people. Well, thanks very much, Ken. I love doing it. And it was an honor for me to be on an Emmy, Emmy Award winning show. Uh, or a uh, show from an Emmy Award winner, I should say. So congratulations on your big win, man. Thanks, buddy. Talk to you soon. All right. Thank you.